Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Shulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Ted Merwin, who teaches at Dickinson College. Here to talk about his new book, Pastrami on Rye, An Overstuffed History of the Jewish Deli, published this year by U- New York University Press. Ted, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So, Ted, this book is about the rise and fall of the delicatessen in American Jewish culture. Uh, let's talk first about the rise. What do we know about the early establishments uh, that we might consider delis? Well, I mean, there actually are very few examples of delis in Eastern Europe. So the whole tradition of takeout gourmet food is something that really starts in the capitals of Europe. In the period, I'd say, certainly after the Middle Ages, um, in the um, in the food stores of Paris in particular, um, because after the French Revolution, you have a lot of unemployed former purveyors to the aristocracy who kind of all pile into the food business. And I think the reason for that is actually very similar to the reason that delis actually take hold in New York, you know, a few centuries later, which is that the rising bourgeoisie want to kind of flatter themselves in their consumption of high class food. They want to kind of eat like kings, even though they've gotten rid of the kings. Um, And so one of the ways that I think that even now we kind of show that we are experiencing social and economic mobility is by being able to consume more gourmet kinds of food. So it's really in Paris and in Rome and in um, Munich and the other cities of Germany that the concept of the delicatessen store, because it really was only a takeout store, not a restaurant, begins to flourish. And then we don't know actually who opened the first delicatessen in New York. It might have been a German Jew who was familiar with this whole tradition from his homeland. It might have been um, a kosher meat manufacturer like Isaac Gallus, who started during the Civil War, um, you know, manufacturing kosher sausages and other kinds of kosher meat. It might very well have been a butcher shop that decided that it was going to branch out a little bit and sell not just raw meat, but also prepared meat as well. So it's very hard to say, actually, how this whole tradition kind of kicked off in America. I think that one of the things that I found most surprising about my research when I first started to to write this book was that the delicatessen stores were actually much less numerous on the Lower East Side of New York than I thought that they would be. That, you know, this was really not so much an immigrant Jewish phenomenon as it was to become later on. So I think that immigrant Jews really didn't have a lot of disposable income. And there was definitely a prejudice against takeout food. The immigrant mother was really supposed to be cooking for her family. And and also the settlement houses like the Henry Street settlement on the Lower East Side were, were very careful to teach their pupils. Uh, I mean, they taught them a trade, they taught them English, and, and they taught them how to cook, and they taught them how to cook, quote-unquote, Americanized 
you know, food, um, American food. So someone once said, as food becomes more American, it becomes softer and whiter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they weren't teaching them the kinds of foods that they, you know, the sort of spicy meatballs or the peppery, you know, garlicky pastrami. You know, they, they weren't cook, teaching them to cook that kind of stuff. So there was a real kind of um, reluctance, I think, on the part of a lot of immigrant Jews to be, uh, you know, seen as too connected, actually to the foods of Eastern Europe. On the other hand, these were not foods that Jews had eaten with any regularity in Eastern Europe. And Hasia Diner writes about this in her book, Hungering for America, in which she points out that delicatessen foods were foods that Jews, she says, learned to think of as traditional. They really weren't a regular part of the, of the diet, you know, you know, for impoverished Jews in Poland or Romania or Lithuania or whatever. So, uh, um, you know, what I found in doing my research was that the um, the heyday of the deli actually came later than when I originally had assumed that it would come. Right. Um, well, I have a couple of follow-up questions. So, so um, it seems like there's a growing trend uh, of scholarship about Jews and food. Is that right? What What does studying food tell us about the Jewish experience? Yeah, I think that is right. I think that there has been a lot written lately uh, about food. I think food is something that seems very central in many ways to American culture right now. I mean, just so many people are interested in foods, so many new cookbooks coming out. And as you say, so many scholars who are writing about it, not just Jewish food, but all different kinds of food. In some ways, I think it grows out of an earlier academic preoccupation with the body, which really started in the 60s and 70s. And this is, I see as kind of, you know, the just the latest phase of, of, of that more kind of physical turn in terms of academic scholarship, the idea that you know, to study human beings as sort of disembodied, you know, intellectual creatures really doesn't do justice to the full social and cultural history that people live in. And, and that's certainly something that Jewish studies is very much embraced. Um, you know, I think Judaism um, was seen for a long time as a religion that was very intellectualized. And it was all about study of Talmud and stuff like that. And that that was what was privileged, at least within the field of Jewish studies was you know, studying sacred texts in a in a very cerebral way. And I think that, you know, later generations of more recent generations of scholars have really, you know, kind of contested that and wanted to see more about what the lived experience of Jews have been throughout history. And so I see myself as very much a part of that kind of movement in terms of looking at food in particular and how it's functioned, not just, um, you know, in terms of what Jews ate, but what the symbolic meanings were of the foods that they ate, the ways in which food really expressed and articulated Jewish culture. And that's another thing that I really thought a lot about in writing this book is, you know, I'm not just interested in finding out when the first deli opened and what they served and stuff like that, but I'm really interested in what this food meant in the construction of Jewish identity. And so that's why I spent a lot of time actually thinking about the overstuffed pastrami sandwich as a metaphor for Jewish acculturation into America and basically, you know, as a symbol of the American dream, uh, you know, and, and this was why I found the Haiti of the deli coming after the immigrant period when Jews had more disposable income and they were living for the most part in the outer boroughs, but were coming back into Manhattan to participate in the, in the theater and film and the whole entertainment life of the city. And so that's when the, delis started to sprout up in the in the Times Square area 
And that's in many ways what I think the heart of my book is, is about in some ways. It's kind of the, the celebrity culture that grew up around the deli and the ways in which Jews experience a kind of vicarious sense of celebrity by being able to eat these huge sandwiches in these particular settings. Right. Maybe just tell us a little bit more about uh, the metaphor, you know, whether it's the sandwich or the, the, uh, the deli itself. How, what does it symbolize about Jews and Jewishness and Americanness and economic mobility? Well, I think there's a whole kind of cluster, a whole constellation of, of symbols, obviously, as there is with anything that's really rich and really multi-layered. And the sandwich is definitely multi-layered. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I was really looking at was the ways in which a secular Jewish identity began to emerge in New York. And so as Jews were turning away from strict religious observance and as the percentage of Jews who were keeping kosher really plummeted during the period after the First World War, I think the delicatessen really became in many ways the prime gathering space for the Jewish community. So the synagogue kind of lost its primacy and the, and the, and the Jewish deli became the place where Jews congregated. And, and I really see the deli also as a place where a lot of the distinctions among Jews began to melt away. So the deli was a place where Jews from all different countries in Eastern Europe, whether they, you know, came from the northern areas of, of, of the Pale of Settlement, or the southern areas of Pale of Settlement, where there were definite differences, uh, I mean, huge cultural differences, including differences in, in, in food ways. But um, somehow being in America, a lot of those distinctions began to fade away. So uh, and also class distinctions as well. That The delicatessen was a place where, you know, both uh, people who were relatively prosperous and people who were still kind of struggling often would sort of, you know, find a common meeting ground. So uh, so I thought a lot about what the sociologist Ray Oldenburg calls the third space. And the ways in which the third place or third space becomes a, you know, for every immigrant group really becomes a very important, um, you know, location for for the life of that group. You know, for Irish, it was obviously, you know, the Irish pub. And for Italians, they had what were called social clubs where they would get together and play cards and cook pasta and stuff like that. And for African-Americans, I would say probably the barbershop or the beauty parlor but for jews it was really the deli you know i mean it was it was oriented around food it was oriented around eating a lot of food it was oriented around really being able to eat this food in a very relaxed very kind of casual environment in which jews could you know kind of let it all hang out not unlike the sausages you know kind of dangling in the window <laughs> um it was a place where jews didn't have to worry about how the majority culture perceived them and they could indulge their penchant for, you know, talking loud and gesturing and, you know, really being very comfortable, um, you know, in ways that they really couldn't be often in the rest of society where they were stereotyped as being vulgar and uncouth and not, you know, uh, genteel or I guess really Gentile, you know. So um, I think the deli was a really kind of fascinating place in many ways because it was possible for a kind of counter narrative, I guess, or a kind of, you know, counter experience to the rest of what they, you know, what they experienced in the rest of society to, to, to emerge. And Jews could kind of propagate 
you know, Jewish humor and other aspects of Jewish culture in a way that might not otherwise have been possible if they didn't have the deli as a space to do that. Right. What did you find about the portrayal of the deli in, you know, pop culture? And how does it track with, uh, you know, the time period in which the deli was actually becoming popular, reaching its peak, and then sort of becoming less popular? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And that's something that I that I also thought about a lot. Uh, I mean, there certainly are quite a lot of examples of the deli in popular culture during the period of the teens and the 20s. I mean, there are vaudeville routines that I found. There are silent films that have scenes that are set in delis. There are comedy routines. There was a Broadway play, actually a Marx Brothers play, in which Groucho Marx is playing Napoleon. And he's, he's like playing a Jewish deli owner to, you know, to Josephine. Um, so there certainly was quite a bit, but my sense is that it was actually after World War II, which was when the deli began to decline, that the, that the deli becomes increasingly iconic in popular culture. And, you know, I wonder about that. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the way the deli starts to be depicted in popular entertainment is as a place where, um, you know, if, if earlier, as I was saying, the, the distinctions among different kinds of Jews was kind of broken down in the deli, I think what you see after World War II increasingly is the deli depicted as a, as a space where the, the distinctions between Jews and non-Jews is starting to blur. And the deli is shown as a place that is not only for Jews, as a place where non-Jews can experience Jewish culture in a much more, you know, um, accessible way than they can by going to synagogue, for example, where everything's in a foreign language and the rituals are very arcane. But obviously over food, you know, things are just a lot more, um, you know, comfortable. And so I certainly see, obviously, you know, in the 1970s when you start having you know, for example, Annie Hall, the classic scene in Annie Hall where he takes, you know, he takes her to a, to the Carnegie Deli and she orders the, you know, the wrong sandwich, you know, the pastrami on white bread with, with mayonnaise, you know, and, and he has that look of just horror on his face. And it's kind of like, oh, the non-Jew doesn't really know how to comport herself in a, in a deli. She doesn't know what you're supposed to order. And I think that's, you know, really, you know, important. I mean, I think he knows that subconsciously. That's why he's taking her there in the first place, because this is actually the one place where he feels a sense of confidence in his masculinity and he can lord it over her, you know, and he can he can let her make a fool of herself. You know, he's not going to coach her or help her. He's going to let her, you know, kind of be, you know, let her sort of be humiliated if if only in his eyes, you know. And yet I think as time goes on, you know, the, the tables get turned a little bit. I mean, you certainly see that in that classic scene from When Harry Met Sally, where it's also about a Jewish man taking a non-Jewish woman to a, to a deli. Um, but in this case, it's about how the non-Jewish woman actually is kind of more in the groove, <laughs> in a sense. I mean, she's certainly more excited or ecstatic about, <laughs> about being in a Jewish deli than anyone else is. You know, and he's the one whose masculinity, you know, is questioned and he has to kind of he, he gets this kind of comeuppance in terms of his he's such a ladies man and, and stuff like that. So I think, you know, in certain in certain ways between, you know, the scene in Woody Allen in the 70s and the scene in um, when Harry met Sally in the 80s, you have that shift that, that that's going on in which Jewish culture is suddenly not just for Jews anymore. And the deli is a really good example of that. 
Right. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you conducted the research? Uh, I know you did interviews with uh, current and former deli owners. Uh, what other things did you do? Um, well, right. I started out actually by just kind of driving up and down the coast of Southeast Florida between Miami Beach and West Palm Beach and just interviewing every retired deli owner or, or retired Hebrew national, you know, um, executive whom I could find and just asking them about the business and, and what it was like. And, and, um, you know, then I realized very quickly that I needed more hard facts, you know, I needed some actual documentation. So then I started to spend a lot of time in archives, you know, trying to dig out, well, how many delis were there and where they, where they located and what kind of business did they, you know, how much business did they do and what were the items that, you know, they sold and things like that. And so a lot of that actually came from trade publications, particularly a wonderful publication called the Mug and Dovid Delicatessen Magazine, which the New York Public Library has old copies of from the 30s. And um, and then I was able to find in the Yeshiva University archives in New York the kind of smoking gun that I had been looking for for years, which was just to try to get a sense of how many kosher delis there were and what the heyday of them was and you know, it was it was in those archives that I was able to find a letter from the city uh, commissioner of public markets that actually listed the numbers of kosher food establishments. And I was really stunned to see that um, there were fifteen hundred and fifty kosher delis that were listed in the 1930s um, in the five boroughs of New York. And that was way more than I had ever had had, had thought. I mean, fifteen hundred and fifty is a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that means that that there really was, as people had told me, you know, there really was a deli on every corner in the Jewish neighborhoods in the Bro- in Brooklyn and the Bronx and, you know, in parts of Manhattan. And that it really was the kind of corner kosher deli was really the cornerstone of, you know, the cultural Jewish life in, at that, in that time period. And, you know, then I also spent a lot of time reading secondary sources and, you know, I, I, I wanted to include as many you know, passages from memoirs and novels. And, um, you know, I mean, I did a lot of newspaper archival, you know, you know, research as well, just trying to round out the picture in each decade of what the delicatessen meant to Jews and to some extent non-Jews who were living uh, during that period. And I also didn't want to just write about New York. I wanted to write about the ways in which as Jews moved out of New York and moved to other parts of the country, particularly to Miami Beach and to Los Angeles in the years after World War II, but also to other cities as well that um, really developed very lively um, deli cultures. I mean, it, it seems to me that there are certain cities that really kind of became, you know, places where delis were, were hubs of, of social life and other places where, for whatever reason, delis never developed the same kind of importance. So, you know, Baltimore, for example, you know, was really a deli town in a way that Washington, D.C. and even Philadelphia and Boston really weren't, you know. And I'm not exactly sure why, but but uh, no question at Baltimore, there was this whole you know area called Corned Beef Road that just had one deli after another. Chicago had a lot of delis. And um, so I spent quite a lot of time actually studying Chicago in particular, trying to figure out where the delis were and again, what they meant to the Jews who lived, um, you know, during that period, during those periods. And then um, but absolutely L.A. and, and Miami Beach as well. Do you have a, a favorite deli, uh, not in the sense of your favorite to eat, but one whose story you think really uh, encapsulates why you wanted to write a book about the Jewish deli? Um, that's a good question. I think that I find little pieces of things in different delis. I don't know if there's one deli that sort of sums everything up, you know, 
Um, I think that, you know, for me, I, I always, when I'm in New York, I often gravitate to the Second Avenue Deli because it has such a rich history. And even though it's not where it originally was on Second Avenue and 10th Street, even in its two new locations on, on Third Avenue in Midtown and on the Upper East Side, it still has that, that vibe somehow, you know, of, um, you know, that, that time period in which the kosher deli in particular was a really important part of the life of the city. And also I think the food is just, um, really somehow the, the most authentic kind of Jewish deli food. Um, but I often also go to Ben's, which is a, a chain of kosher delis. There's one in Manhattan near Penn Station. Uh, and what I love about Ben's is that it has this very extravagant kind of art deco, dec- you know, decor. And that really takes me back to the whole interwar period, you know, I mean, particularly to the 20s when the deli was just kind of starting to get a foothold in the Times Square area. And when Jews really wanted to see themselves, as I mentioned earlier, just like the people in Paris after the French Revolution, I mean, really wanted to see themselves as finally having arrived in America and beginning to, you know, really become American. And so I, you know, I love that for you know, because it it sort of summons up that period of uh, what I call the Art Deco Jew. <laughs> right. Uh, you, you know, in the conclusion, you talk about contemporary delis. There's a, been a resurgence uh, in New York and other places in the last 10 years. Can you tell us a little about what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting now is that, I mean, a lot of delis have closed. And huge numbers of delis have closed, both kosher delis and also non-kosher delis. I mean, New York lost a stage deli a couple of years ago. And it's not clear that the Carnegie, which closed last year because they were found to be siphoning gas illegally, um, is ever going to reopen. So, um, you know, my sense is that this is something that is kind of really fading, fading out. But um, there are very enterprising, mostly fairly young deli owners in different parts of, of the of the country, mostly on the east and west coasts, though, who are, you know, kind of trying to go back to their grandparents' recipes and who are also trying to kind of marry the whole tradition of the Jewish deli with, you know, the contemporary values of sustainability and ecological responsibility. So there's, um, for example, in, in New York, the Mile End Deli in Brooklyn, in uh, San Francisco, there's a deli called Wise and Sons. In Atlanta, there's a deli called the General Muir. And these are all places where they're serving you know, traditional deli foods, but in smaller portions, the meat is all, you know, from grass fed beef, the vegetables are all organic, although I'm not sure where vegetables actually come in in terms of Jewish delis, actually, because you don't even put lettuce and tomato on a sandwich traditionally, but whatever. Um, and uh, the, the they would never serve like Dr. Brown soda, which is commercially, you know, manufactured, they would serve homemade soda, you know, things like that. And so, I'm really intrigued by that as a phenomenon because I know that certainly for a lot of Jews who grew up eating this kind of food, it was such an important part of their upbringing and they, they want that nostalgic connection. You know, they don't want to go to a deli and have like a skimpy little sandwich. They want to remember what it was like when they were going to delis every weekend with their, with their families, you know. But on the other hand, as I mentioned before, I mean, delis are not just for Jews and haven't been for a long time just for Jews. And so I think a lot of the clientele of these sort of newfangled delis is a, is a non-Jewish clientele and they just really like the food, you know, I mean, they're there's, they didn't necessarily grow up eating it, but they're, they're enamored of the, of the food. They like how it tastes. 
And I think they also probably do enjoy this sense of participating vicariously in Jewish culture. So whether that's enough to really sustain these places and to sustain the whole tradition of the deli going forward, I really don't know. I mean, I don't think that this kind of food or this kind of establishment is ever going to completely die out. But I also wonder if it's really that special anymore. I mean, at a time when bagels are not really so much even a Jewish food, I mean, millions of Americans get up every morning and and eat a bagel, you know, with absolutely no knowledge or sense of it belonging in any way to to Jewish culture. Um, When pastrami is available at every, you know, Subway sandwich franchise or Quiznos or whatever, um, it's it's not the same, you know, it's really not the same, you know, cut of meat or it's not spiced and smoked the same way that pastrami was traditionally done in a Jewish deli, you know, where it took like weeks and weeks just to make it. But, um, you know, it's basically pastrami, you know, it's 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 brined and smoked. So that makes it pastrami. So, um, you know, and and often kind of, I think, recalling the whole tradition of the Jewish deli with this whole these overstuffed sandwiches that are sold at these, um, you know, fast food franchises. So there's a kind of echo in many ways of, um, you know, the traditional Jewish deli. But, you know, why go to a Jewish deli when you can have pastrami anywhere? Right. Is there anything um, about the deli that you think nostalgia has given us uh, a wrong view of? Well, what do we get wrong most about the, the, the deli? Well, I think what we get wrong is, is that we, I mean, I think we feel like we're connecting in some way both to Eastern European Jewish culture and to Lower East Side, you know, Jewish history. And in either case, is that actually true? Because, as I said, the Haiti of the deli is really in the 1920s and 30s. Um, you know, it's it's really not an immigrant phenomenon per se. It's much more a second generation Jewish phenomenon. Um, and these foods weren't even really traceable back to Eastern Europe anyway in in any real quantity. I mean, in terms of what Jews actually ate on a daily basis. So um, I think that we've invested the deli with this kind of double layer of nostalgia that comes from wanting somehow to go back further in time than it than it really does. And uh, I think that's okay. I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But from an historian's point of view, you know, it's hard for me not to grit my teeth a little bit when people talk about how, you know, the deli's been a part of Jewish history for such a long time or whatever. It really hasn't been. Ted, what's your favorite tidbit about a deli that you learned during your research? Um, Well, I mean, I tell a lot of stories in my book. I mean, one of my favorites is about the guy who goes into the Second Avenue Deli and he inhales, you know, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, I smell Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> and so much of the deli was, you know, was its smell, was the smell of the garlic and the smell of the other spices, you know. And um, I think that the idea that somehow for people for whom a religious identity is no longer really salient, you know, um, that uh, just the very smell of those uh of those foods really brings back you know a whole sense of one's childhood or or makes one feel reconnected to one's heritage i think is really exciting and um in some ways it's a little bit similar not in terms of the olfactory sense but in terms of the visual experience that i quote in the book probably the most famous um sort of depiction of a deli in a or, or remembrance of a deli in a memoir which is alfred kazan's talking about the deli in his book, A Walker in the City. 
in which he says that he, you know, he recalls waiting so um, eagerly with his with his friends in Brownsville, Brooklyn, every Saturday for the delicatessen store to reopen after the Sabbath rest. And and it's the it's the lighting up of the sign, you know, Jewish National Delicatessen, the neon sign in the window that gives him a sense of returning to what he calls his rightful heritage. And that's really fascinating to me because again, like just like the guy walking in second Avenue deli who hasn't even eaten the food yet, you know, this is a story of someone who hasn't even gone into the place yet. He hasn't eaten anything yet. He's just seeing the sign lighting up and somehow that is recalling him to a, to a sense of his, of his Jewish identity. And so there's so much, you know, about the deli that's not just contained within the food itself, but is really about the whole gestalt of the, of the place, you know, um, as a location for Jewish life, as a repository of Jewish memory, as a venue for reconnection to Jewish heritage, that in many ways is what my book is really about, even more than it is about the particular foods that were served there. Right. Well, Ted, we've taken up a lot of your time, so any parting thoughts you'd like to share, and what are you working on next? Well, I'm actually working on a book now about non-Jews growing interest and involvement in Jewish religion and culture. So I'm writing about non-Jewish um, church. I mean, obviously, I'm writing about non-Jews who are having Passover seders in, in churches. I'm writing about non-Jews who are raising Jewish children, non-Jews who are adopting aspects of Jewish ritual like um, like the chuppah and the ketubah and things like that. I mean, pretty much anything that you can think of, which is a Jewish uh, ritual item nowadays or Jewish holiday, is something that non-Jews are beginning to gravitate to. Ted, that sounds like a great project. I want to thank you for being on the show today. The book is Pastrami on Rye, an overstuffed history of the Jewish deli, published this year by NYU Press. The author is Ted Merwin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.